Thanks for joining us uh, today. My name is Bill. For those of you uh, who don't know me uh, and you're just checking us out, we're always honored when people visit, when they spend time with us, when they listen. So, so thanks for doing that. Uh, today, with all the social distancing, shelter in place, self-isolation orders out there, we're, we're, we're hitting a topic which I think many of us have been dealing with. The title is, help me, I'm lonely. In the separation from other people, that's a typical temptation that comes into all of our lives. One of the main verses for this series is the particular one that comes out of Corinthians. It tells us there's no temptation that any of us will face or will come into our life or take, take control over us in any way, shape, or form. It's not common to everyone. We're, we're all tempted to be lonely. And so uh, we're talking about that tonight. Uh, there's statistics here, and I'm kind of a statistics guy because I like them. A uh, recent survey that came out, I believe it was a, a Pew report that came out, they talked about loneliness in different generations. Uh, this is in the United States. Gen Z, uh, young, 79% of the people say that times they feel lonely. Millennials, 71. Gen X, 65. Boomers, 60 or 52. Two to 71, 50%. Look at the, start looking at the difference in the ages. And the silent, the greater generation, 47%. This, this definition of loneliness, being without company, cut off from others, and here it is, a feeling of bleakness or desolation. This is a generational study that we're looking at here. It, it's true out all generations. Obviously, it's interesting that in the younger, more connected totally going on type uh, generation, uh, they feel more loneliness than old dudes like me. Uh, but there's a time for all of us, uh, particularly all the things that are going on now that tends to separate us because of COVID-19, where we start to take that step back and, and look at the little squares on the line so we don't get uh, too close to people as we go forward. Today's about God's way of escape. But before we look at that, I'm, I'm going to uh, answer a question that many people are asking. When, when can we meet in person as a church? Uh, it's interesting. Uh, we've had some incidents. Uh, recently, I was standing out in the parking lot last week and uh, just got out of my truck, and a big hunkin' trash truck pulls up uh, with diesel noises going and diesel smells everywhere. And a, a friend of mine sticks his head out of the cab and says, when are we going to meet uh, as a church? We miss this. And so they come, he and his wife come on Saturday night. They serve Saturday nights. But his question is, well, when are we going to start? Last night, my wife Ronnie and I are coming into the church, uh, and, and another white, this is a white truck, pulls up a regular pickup truck, uh, a couple of, you know, skidoos in the back of it, say, hey, Bill, when are we starting church? And common question that I get asked. And, and it's interesting that this person promised me that when we open, he'll be the first one in the door. And I told him I'm holding him to that when it takes place. Uh, so the question is out there. Pastor uh, from another church, he, they, they hold their church services here in the physical building of Crossroads, but they're a totally different. We've allowed them to do that for years, good friends of ours, so, so that works out. He asked, called actually a couple times, uh, he, he called me, and I guess I didn't get back quick enough, so we went right to the top and called Dion uh, when the church was going to open. But we, we, so we had to deal with that as we went forward. Uh, now, most of you who are in tune with the news know that this is a controversial subject. In the, in the state of California, just a news article, uh, of a, week, a little over a week ago, 500 pastors have agreed uh, together that no matter what the government says, they're opening their churches. Now they're going to be using social distancing, and they're going to be using sanitation. So they're going to be using all proper uh, precautions, but they're just going to go ahead and open. And so, uh, by the way, from that 500, now there's 1,000. And some of them are even talking about opening this weekend, not waiting for the end of the month to be able to do that. Uh, here's a quote from the, one of the leaders. Churches are not asking for permission, said Bob Tyler, a religious freedom attorney uh, advising the pastors. The governor is sitting here 
as I hope he's not listening, by the way. Sorry, Governor Newsom, you are. Uh, he's, at, he's sitting like a dictator, and, and he's trumping the Constitution. This kind of, of hanging on in this state of emergency as long as he can hold it there to keep control. That's one person's opinion. It, spreading, actually. Uh, and people are demonstrating uh, all around our country, pushing for opening, not only of businesses, but specifically of churches. Uh, so what are we going to do? Because there's, there's protesters on the other side. Very clear fear that if churches open too fast, we'll get a spike in COVID cases. And if, and if that happens, we're going right back to square zero. Actually, we'll probably go beyond that. Uh, just out of an abundance of caution. Uh, yesterday, for those who live in Ridgecrest, I know we've got people from all over. Ridgecrest is a small rural city, less than a dot on the map, on the eastern side of the Sierras. We're in Kern County. Uh, our city is petitioning at this particular time, Kern County, to get separate treatment that we won't be tied to them. It's a big city over there. They've got bunches of cases. We don't have that many. But so we're trying to get that going on now. They want us to be able to open the doors. So I want to respond to those questions. What is our policy? Uh, when will we be meeting again? So let, let's talk about that. Now, as I start, I am convinced that there's going to be probably almost an equal number of people on both sides of the issue. So this is in my attempt to offend as many as possible, I will state both sides and, and so everyone can be angry at me. Uh, so, but here's where we're going. I want to say that uh, uh, this, is, this is a decision that was tough. But it wasn't tough when we looked at some of the basics. The Bible clearly tells us to obey the laws of the land. Each person should be subject to the governing authorities uh, that are over them. But there's no authority that's established except from God. And the authority that's there because God instituted it. God gives us leaders. He puts them in place. Now, I always point this out, too. If all of you with complaints against politicians and our political system, and, and rightfully so in some areas, we're, we're going south, we get the leaders we deserve that are best for us. And so that's the situation we're in right now. But we are to obey them. Whoever resists the authority uh, resists God and those appointed. Uh, now, the apostle Peter goes on and later on in his life, he tells us to keep our, our conduct honorable you know, uh, you know, among the Gentiles, those people who don't believe, those people who are out in the community, those, we, we would call them non-church people or unchurched people. So when we're dealing with them, we got to be very careful. Uh, we don't want to do anything that will offend them because we're trying to bring them to Christ. We want them to join the church. And so it says, be subject to every human institution. Same thing as above. Whether it's an emperor, very important, supreme, or a government sent you know, they, they will punish those who do evil. Praise those who do good. Uh, if it's the will of God, you know, just doing good will put to silence foolish people who look at us and, and make fun of us. So don't use our freedom to cover up evil. Now, here's the deal on that one. Uh, Peter is clear. Obey the government. Uh, obey even at this time emperors or rulers or in his case, a Caesar. Now, it's interesting that the Caesar that he was commanding us to obey was a particularly brutal Caesar called Nero. Uh, now, Nero burned down Rome and blamed the Christians. He crucified Christians on post and turned them into uh, lamps by just covering them with oil and putting them on fire. Brutal, mean man. Ultimately, at the end of his life, it was Nero who tortured and killed Peter. Knowing that was ahead of him, he still writes, obey the leaders at that time. So to us, I see that as pretty clear as we study the Bible and the commands. We're to do that. We looked, and I've looked through, of course, obviously read many, many times the Bible. I've never seen a prophet, apostle, pastor, teacher in the Bible recommending revolution against the government. Even under 
horrendous circumstances, the goal was always to love, to serve, to support that are there, that, to guard our behavior and things like that. Uh, Jesus did not preach against uh, or, or encourage rebellion against the Romans, neither did John the Baptist. Um, so, and, and these were mean people. Governor Newsom is pretty tame uh, compared to these guys. Uh, but again, the Apostle Peter and, and Paul in the book of Romans makes it pretty clear. So we're going to obey the government. We'll get, now, this doesn't stop us from doing what we're doing. We're still going to love and serve Jesus Christ here in Ridgecrest. Here's our commands to love God with all that's in us, all of our heart, our soul, uh, all of the things that are there, and uh, to love our neighbor as ourself. Well, we're going to continue to do that. We have continued to do that. We're going to continue to love God as, with all we've got and, and reach out and, and share him uh, with our neighbors and, and help them. We'll receive power so that we'll be witnesses. In, in, in our case, it will be Ridgecrest or Inyakern or Trona. Uh, we'll continue to show God's love in these different places. That's, that's what we're called to do. Uh, so that, that's what we're going to do. Now, we may have to go witness to people and help people with a mask on our face. We've, uh, we've been going out and doing cooler services and startups uh, for people uh, as the weather changes here in Ridgecrest. But it's a mask, but we still do what God tells us to do. Now, for those out there that, I don't want to say join the rebellion, but are considering joining the rebellion, and you've got questions and think we're taking the wrong path, uh, I encourage you to, to call those questions in at the end of this uh, service. There's going to be a, an opportunity, uh, and there's a text number that, that comes up on your screen. This is You can text in questions at the end. We'll, we'll do the best we can to answer them. But when you do that, the question, and always, please, we as Christians believe in the Bible as his, God's inspired word. So if you've got some pushback, if you've got some input for us, use the Bible. Don't quote some political activist on either side of the aisle, by the way. Bring the Bible. Bring God's word. And we'll have a conversation about that. Because that's who we're trying to follow. Any, anything else other, you know, other than that, we're, we really don't need to deal with. Um, so here we go. Questions at the end. All right, now... Uh, I, I say this only because I have an opportunity. If there was an area since this COVID-19, the pandemic uh, started, the economic pandemic, the, everything that is taking place around us, every time I get an opportunity to point this out, uh, I'm doing this. The real solution to COVID-19, the real solution to the pandemic there is held in 2 Chronicles 7.13 on. We've done this the first couple of weeks of this series. We've done that as we go forward. This is the truth. God's the one who will open the churches, not Governor Newsom, not the businessmen, not the rebellion people that are out there or any of the churches. That's not the, God will do it. God will give us a clear pathway then and now to go forward. Uh, an example of something that was very distressing, distressing may not be the right word, but it's something that... Uh, bug the tar out of me, I guess that's distressing, uh, is the response to the National Day of Prayer. Uh, the leaders of the National Day of Prayer talked about a lot. National leaders, the president was there, the, uh, his wife was there, all the people up in Washington, they were all there. There was all the cities had one. We had one here in Ridgecrest, uh, an opportunity to pray. But here's the thing that's going to make a difference. And this is kind of a theme that you're going to see out throughout this whole message is uh, most people miss the point of the day of prayer. Everyone prayed that God would stop COVID-19. They prayed that the economy would open up. Well, that's kind of a slam dunk. But in the news and in the videos that I heard and everything that I saw, uh, there was a word missing. It was called repentance. It was turning from our sin. You see, the truth is that God has ordained and or God has specifically just allowed the COVID-19 plague and pandemic and the same thing with the econ economics in our country. 
He is the initiator of that. He will be the stopper of that. He will finish it when his work is done. So what is his work? Why would he bring these things upon us? The verse tells us that when I, this is God speaking, speaking to the United States, speaking to, to each of us, speaking to me, it says, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain, uh, uh, or I command the locusts to devour the land, or I send pestilence. Now, the word pestilence is exactly what we're talking about in COVID-19 among my people. So he sends it. He ordains it. He puts it there. Please don't miss that. This, this did not come from a Chinese lab. It may have come from a Chinese lab, but God allowed it or ordained it. It may be just some kind of fluke or whatever it is, the way it's spread. God's still God. I talked to him this morning. So when he shuts up heaven and then sends pestilence among my people, then verse 14 starts, if my people who are called according to my name. Here's the scary part. Boy, do I get rant on? Am I going on here? There you go. The stuff that's underlined, this was not presented in almost every presentation of Second Chronicle verses. They chose to leave that out. This is in our feel-good, let's keep the United States with a high self-image of itself, even while we're wallowing in sin and doing everything that we can do to offend the holy God. I have an opinion. Okay, he shut up heaven because of all the stuff we're doing. That's him. They didn't even put that in many of the uh, things that went out. If my people who are called according to my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And, and here's another thing. The one that I was watching, they left out and turned from their wicked ways. They left out the main point. So uh, to kind of sum this up, it, what, what God is looking for is he loves us enough to correct us. And that's what he's doing. And until such time as, as we change, he's a loving father that will discipline us. He may let up on the COVID thing, but the point that we're taking at this particular time is specific. God's in charge. When, when pestilence comes into our land, when all the other stuff comes, we have to recognize that God has allowed it. And we, as his people, and against we, we don't control those people who don't follow God. They're out there. Church people. If you're, a church, if you're a church guy looking under, a church gal looking in, well, this is us. We need to examine our lives. We need to transform ourselves. I, I need to go on because there's, there's so much in all of this, but that will open the churches. That will allow us to worship together. That will allow us to eat donuts together for Pete's sake. Let's get the important stuff out there on Sunday mornings. So, so that's what we have. It's uh, all this other stuff. We're, when we open up, there'll be social distancing. I have no doubt about that. We'll have a lot of sanitation rules. We'll be setting up to do that as we go. But that's the introduction. Now, tonight, hey, I feel series that we started some time ago. Uh, we, we talked about, help me, I'm fragile. A lot of people are facing that. Help me, I'm afraid, fear, the second week. Help me, I'm angry. Last week, if you looked at the news, demonstrators on both sides are demonstrating, but they're doing it with anger going on. And tonight, lonely. Again, common to all of us. So uh, I looked up, I always go to the American uh, Psychological Association. They're the, the grand poobah of all mental and health issues as far as what the secular people look at. And uh, it, it gives a description, a statement of, from that society. Loneliness is a, a, a social, uh, loneliness and social isolation may represent the greatest public health hazard. It, it's even more than obesity. And the impact has been growing and will continue to grow. Social isolation, now here, this is, we're going to come back to this. Social isolation is an objective indicator of how much contact. In other words, it's, it's, it's objective. We can measure how many times I interact with people, who I'm connected with. Everyone can take an objective scale of their life and figure that out. Now, here it is, though. Uh, other people. Whereas loneliness, social isolation is factual. Loneliness is a subjective feeling. 
It's a feeling. It's something we feel. It's not an objective fact. It's something we feel as we go forward. So that's the definition. We're going to be talking about the feelings of this that takes place inside of our lives. And so as we go, it's, uh, we want to look each week and, and make sure that we do this. We want to ask God in. So please join me in prayer as we do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving this nation enough, loving this world enough to send your son, that if we would believe in him and, and follow him and, and walk in his light, we would have eternal life. At that moment in Christ, our sins would be washed away by his sacrifice. Uh, Lord, you would come and live in us and transform us. Lord, we thank you that, that that's your love for this world, but it's also a love that's strong enough to correct us. And so, Lord, as we, as we live through these times, thank you that you'll give us the wisdom to hear your voice, to follow your ways, so that we can glorify you in these times. Thanks in Christ's name. Amen. We can still worship Christ. We can still celebrate him. We can still learn from him, even in this period. As a matter of fact, parents, this is a golden opportunity. This is a golden opportunity to invest in your kids' lives. Husbands and wives, this is a chance to really enrich your lives in Christ. You know, my wife and I are enjoying uh, new activities together. We've been married, what, 55 years, and she's still training me. But... We're learning. This has been a great opportunity for us. And also, by the way, my garden is really flourishing for all of you who want zucchinis. Uh, but this is the transition. We can still do what God has called us to do. We don't have to move into the area of isolated, lonely, and separated off to ourselves, even despair as we go forward. But why do we want to connect with other people? Let's get the basics. God created us for relationship. We're created in his image. Of all the gods that, and false gods that are put out around the world, our God is a relational God. Our God wants to have a personal relationship with his kids. And so uh, he sends Christ to bring that about, but he created us in his image. And he also makes the obvious statement, it is not good for man to be alone. Famous verse, it's true. We need relational connections inside of our lives. We all know that because we've all experienced the other side of it as we go forward. And so the obvious statement going forward, we need relationships. And God says, oh, by the way, you're never going to be alone. He said, I will always be with you. Uh, the reality is that we cannot get alone inside of our lives. I love this uh, verse uh, that he that he gave to Joshua. You know, haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. Here's God. For the Lord, your God, will go with you wherever you go. You know, that's a promise that God gives me. And that's a promise that he gives every Christ follower. He'll go with us as we, as we do his work. But it's even beyond that. Even if we don't know Christ, even in our seeking, even in our rebellion, God is fully present with us. You know, this comes out of Psalms 139, this, this amazing psalm that uh, talks about how awesome our God is. So, and the psalmist says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, hey, you're there. If I go down to Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning or dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea uh, or the uttermost parts of the world, which some people would describe this area, but all of that, you're there. God's right hand is with us wherever we go. He, he's fully connected with us. Um, and again, that's good news. We're never alone. God is always there to celebrate our victories. He's always there to guide us. He's always there to encourage us. But all the other, the other part's true also. He's there when we sin. He's there when we fall short. Many of us can reflect back, I know I can, to, to certain sins or moments in my life when I thought I was doing my thing, and who knew? Well, God knew. 
So the reality is that we're always present with God. So, uh, and so as we go forward, we'll never be alone. We have his presence. Now, how about self-inflicted loneliness from God? Because we can keep the reality of a relationship with him away from us. And one of the most, it, to me, one of the most powerful verses that shows God heart, God's heart for me and for each person listening, but also for this nation and, and this world, but so special as he reaches out. This is the God that, that, that spoke the world into existence and said, let there be, and there was a world. This is, this is the God that knew me in my mother's womb and designed me and knew you and designed you. This is the all-knowing, all-powerful, always-present God. And the ruler of the world, you know, if you read examples in the Bible when people come into his presence, fall on our faces before him in worship because he is just so perfect and beautiful and loving. And we just are overcome by it. So, but this God chooses to reach out to us. He says, I'm ready to be sought by those who didn't even ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who didn't seek me. The real God, the God of love and relationship, stands and says, here I am, here I am, to a nation that doesn't call on me. He says, here I am, come, come to me uh, so we can have a relationship I spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that's not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continuously. You know, in, in our nation, this certainly applies to us in many areas. God is reaching out and seeing the damage that will, that's taking place, and he's calling out, trying to turn it around, but humbly he calls to us, but we reject him. We're rebellious people. Uh, Jesus, the, the very God who came and took on human flesh. You see, he, he's knocking at the door of each heart for entry so that he can have a relationship with us. God reaches out continuously. God sends his son, and, and Jesus seeks each of us. He's seeking you. If, if you know, we... we we live in the area of, of door ring systems with cameras and everything else. You know, wouldn't it just be great to paste Jesus on the front of that and showing him knocking at your door every time he comes in? Because that's what he's doing. He's knocking. He wants to come in and be with us. This is our God. So the problem on loneliness isn't on God's side. It's on our side. You know, the spiritual distance and what has happened, we have socially and spiritually distanced ourselves from God. He describes this uh, in incredible verse. We'll talk about it a couple times today. Jesus describes our relationship with him as a, a branch uh, on a grape vine. Very, very familiar picture they had. Jesus says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. If you abide, and uh, I looked that word up, it's, a, it's an intimacy that takes place there. Uh, in the original language, uh, abide, uh, connect go deeply inside of each other at that particular point so his his life can flow into us just as the life of a of a of a grape you know plant rolls in uh to it so uh i've got grapes i planted some new ones this year i'm looking for a great harvest of those things and uh i always hope every year but i was as i tie them up and things I, i've broken off a few of the of the little um pieces of vine. The truth is they die. You know, I, I, you break them, and so you just disconnect them, so it's totally done. And that's what he's saying. If we abide in him, we'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If we are broken off from the vine by our choice, we're thrown away. The branch withers and dies. What a picture. And the same thing here, that God's hand is not so short that he can't save, our ears so dull that he cannot hear, but it's our sins that separate us. It's our choices that separate us from the living God. It's not him, because, because the truth is he's constantly reaching out. So where do we go with that? Well, first off, we social distance ourselves from God. 
So what do we, how do we change that around? How do we turn it around? Uh, we even separate ourselves from other Christians. We should hold fast to the confession that we have, connecting with others. You know, it's kind of interesting that the people that really weren't connected to the church before are the ones that seem to be calling the most and missing it. So the encouragement is when we all get back together is we're going to be ready uh, to encourage small groups, connections, Sunday school classes, all those interactions in service groups so we can connect with each other. Uh, it, it's available in the church. So all of that's there. Uh, next thing, self-inflicted loneliness is pushing other people away. You know, one of the, the truth is is we push people away, not by social distancing, but by antisocial behavior. We live a life in such a way that people really don't want to be around us. I know much of my life I, I walked in a rage and a busyness that people didn't want to be around. Um, and so uh, we, we talk about uh, the fruit of the flesh. This is what the natural person puts out. And as, and as you, you look, look at those things, sexual immorality, impurity, but those are uh, idol, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry. Who wants to be around that? So by our behavior and by our actions, we separate ourselves from the living God. You may not have noticed it, but each of the weeks, we've talked about some specific behaviors. The first week, we talked about being emotionally fragile. Who wants to be, well, i got to be careful. It's not pleasant to be around an emotionally, mentally fragile person. Everything we said, the tears flow, they fall apart on us, or they get angry. Fragile. The next one says, I'm afraid. Uh, this constant anxiety and fear pushes people away. <coughs> Obviously, anger pushes people away. Today, lonely. If you come into a relationship all lonely and down, it, it's not comfortable for the other person. Control freak, it's obvious. Being depressed, uh, we'll talk about that too, but a depressed person is not fun to be around. Now, again, each person has, has deals with each one of these things, but there's almost an, an, an endless list of antisocial behaviors that are there. But one of the main things in our culture today that pushes people away on top of all of that is just our immaturity inside of our lives. We have stopped in the last, what, couple of uh, decades of teaching people to, to grow up. The Bible says that, just as talking to the church at Corinth, hey, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but people of the flesh, infants in Christ. He says, I, I, I just give you milk, not solid food. You're not ready for it. Uh, not yet, at least. You're still in the flesh. So let me, let me talk about personal relationships. This, this chart has uh, two sides to it. It has a verse on the right. But on the left, it talks about depth of relationships, depth of communication with people. In our, in our country today, uh, cliches are just fast statements back and forth. Hey, how are you today? And all that. No meaning, no connection. We really don't care what the response is for the most part. Or we can talk about facts. We talk about the weather. We talk about the wind in Ridgecrest. Uh, if we lived in Tonopah, we'd be talking about all the earthquakes that are taking place. So that's, that's, those are levels that don't involve anything. Immature people speak at that level. Then later we can start giving our opinions. Not really... Uh, connecting with the other person, but I'm stating who I am. This is what I believe. Uh, the next one now gets a little, little more maturity needed. Feelings. I, you know, deep feelings. I, you know, I feel this, I feel that. It's not I love ice cream or I, I hate the Dodgers. I, nothing like that. Those not those emotions. It's, although those are valid. The, uh, sorry, uh, I'll get questions on that. We start to talk about our feelings. This is, this is really important to me. I, this, is, this is the depth down inside of me. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is what I feel when this happens or that happens. And we start to become vulnerable. It takes maturity to do that in a relationship. And finally, when we start really laying our needs out, husbands and wives sometimes are married years or decades, 
and they never really express their needs to their mate because we don't have the maturity or stability relationally to do that. So this, this warning that we have is just be aware of where we are. Are we part of the problem? Because if I've been in places where someone, I've been in small groups and, and meetings where someone shares some deep, deep hurt inside their life and someone on the other side tells a joke. Now, why would someone do that? That's, that's really bad. Why? Because they can't handle the emotional depth. They're not comfortable going to that level, so they've got to shift or uh, get the topic uh, off, off, off center of the deep feelings that are there. So maturity is a huge deal. Also, and I have to do this, 2020, how about another thing that keeps us from real relationships are pseudo, pseudo or fake relationships will make us even more lonely. Technology, I got to go there. I got to talk about it because this is one of the greatest deterrents to personal relationships and really leaves people lonelier. I like this one verse, but you, there's one thing we often overlook. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, doesn't that sound sinister? Well, it's because it is sinister. He's the devil. What would you expect? A good plan? The schemes of the devil. We see it all around us today. Uh, the schemes of the devil is to offer pseudo-relationships, surface-level relationships through technology uh, where people can have a, a, a pretend relationship with other people. You know, we're, we, we do emails, we do Snapchat, we do all these things, we do text back and forth. And even, I don't care how many emojis you put on your text, you're not going to get an emotional impact because communication is not so much the content. It's the body language that goes with it. It's, it's speaking the truth in love. We can grow up into all aspects. But when we communicate, the words are 7%. The body movements and, and the things that I'm doing right now, they're communicating uh, a lot of things, my tone, my modulation, pauses. That's something that everyone wishes I would do more of. Uh, pauses give you a chance to breathe. Uh, but this is all goes away for the most part other than the words in technology. So using technology to be able to build a relationship isn't going to happen. As a matter of fact, some of the things that we're, we're dealing with today is is the problem of teaching kids how to have conversations. They have to actually sit them down. And parents, you're at home with your kids. Have adult conversations with them. Come up with questions. Come up with ideas. Go back and forth. Engage them in communication. This might be actually a, an opportunity for a breakthrough for their communication with other people and, quite honestly, with you. Technology, people hide behind it. 54% of the teens flat out admit, I use technology to keep from talking to people. It's my shield. It's my way of keeping people away. Addictions to ungodly and unproductive uh, cyber activities, whether it's pornography, and I'll throw in the Facebook tweets, Instagram, Facebook. These all have their place. So don't, don't get me wrong as far as Facebook tweets and these things. But we can't live on them. Just, I'll say this and get a, some real pushback. They're not real relationships. We can pass information on it. We can do weather reports. We can put, post pictures, and that's great. But pouring your feelings out, pouring your needs out, uh, that's not going to happen uh, over those particular areas. These are fake uh, relationships. Okay, solution-oriented. First off, this is the fun part. The Word of God. What we're going to offer is something that is foolishness to the world. We did this the first week of the series. We'll do it every, every week. We're going to give you two approaches to loneliness. One, the world, and the other one, God. But God's way is foolishness to the world. They don't, they don't understand. Um, it, it talks about the cr cross as foolishness to those who are perishing. You know, we destroy the wisdom of the wise. You know, the, 
The world can't grasp God's wisdom. It's so much higher. You know, uh, just get ready because I'll offend a few as we go along. Be ready to click off. Uh, the, train, the train that we talk about uh, in, in the world is modern psychology, the wisdom of our times. Um, we live in an age of self, having high self-image, uh, don't need a savior. We're living out our self-actualization in our life. Life's about us. We define our own truth, morals, and decisions. This is, this is modern culture, United States. God's solution to uh, loneliness is pretty straightforward. Come to Jesus. And that's simple. That ought to be a slogan. We ought to do a series, Come to Jesus. Because that's what he offers. Jesus tells his followers, and he, to me, he tells me, he tells you, come on, come to me. If you're weary, heavy laden, if you got stuff in your life, he says, hey, take my life upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and humble of heart. You'll find rest for your souls. Take my life on you. This is what, this is what Christ offers us. But, but understand, this is so often people say that Christianity is irrational. No, it's not. Christianity is solidly based on facts, evidence, objective events, objective his, history, uh, archaeology, uh, science supports uh, the creation story. Uh, so in, for a Christian, the train of life are the facts. We, we look at facts. We can look and, and line them up. This is God. He reveals himself. Look at DNA. If there's any doubt that there's a creator, it's programmed. Look at all of these things to prove the existence of God. So a Christian looks at all the facts, looks at the facts of history for Jesus Christ, his, his teachings, his life, his relationships, his clearly his death, and the most documented event in history is his resurrection from the dead. These are facts. So I look at those facts, and we Christians look at those facts, and we have faith in them. Faith is, has to have an object, and facts uh, are the object, and then we follow them. And then ultimately, feelings are at the end of the train. And this series is about feelings, but it, it comes through following God at the other end of the train as you go forward. Objective evidence there. And so that gives us stability in our life, but it also gives us the confidence to follow Jesus to learn from him. If we if we're call ourselves a biblical Christian, we should have a list of facts that we build our lives on. Now, this is crazy talk in the world situation, you know, because most of the world denies mostly the existence of God and for sure any evidence of him. But here's what we do as Christians. We look at the facts. We have faith in those facts. We follow Christ and we lay our lives down for him. How can we not? And the, the primary verses to follow Christ is, is to be crucified with him so Christ can live in us. My social behavior radically was radically transformed when I became a Christian. Christ started living through me. At the same time, the Holy Spirit started living in me. I started taking off the junk of the world, and I actually, once in a while, love. Christ came through in love, joy, peace, where there shouldn't be peace. Patience, when I wouldn't have had patience before. Oh, self-control, when I didn't have self-control. He, he broke addictions inside of my life. Because Christ lives in me, and the Holy Spirit lives in me. And that's the offer to each of us. That's the offer to loneliness through our life. That changes us from antisocial beings to social beings. We follow the facts of Christ. Now, God's way is, appears foolish to the world. Now, here's the other side of it. Here's the world's solution to loneliness. Follow your feelings. If that person feels good, you just go ahead and, and connect up with them, go live with them, uh, affirm them, run with them, whatever the case may be. If it feels good, go do that. When there's, when there's no law, no king, no rules, do what's right in your own eyes. The path before each person, if it seems right, do it. And so this, this is modern America trained. We, and sadly, for, for 30 to 40 years, we've trained our kids in this. we trained our kids to not look at objective facts, but to come up with their own opinions, their own truth, their own morals, and their own values. Uh, so this, 
the statement that they have, and we did this earlier, social isolation is an objective indicator, but look at the other part of it. American Psychological Association. Loneliness is subjective feeling of isolation. If I feel lonely, then by definition I'm lonely. Whereas we could be in a crowd, we could be in groups, but if I feel this way, this is my reality. Things have certainly changed inside of our lives. Now, like Isaiah says, God's reaching out to us every day. But if we reject him, we don't take on God's nature, we don't learn from Christ, then the nature of the world comes through. We've compared these two realities uh, inside of our life. Where there is no king, there is nothing else, then, then the ways of the world work through us, the, the fruit that comes into us. Uh, comes, he warned you before that they'll be there. There'll be anger, disputes, dissension, immorality. These things become our reality. And of course, this just destroys relationships as we go forward, as we reject the facts uh, and go in that direction. Big deal. Biblical Christians, those who seek and love God, this is the rest of it's for us. First thing that God offers us, we can be relationally complete and content in Christ. Our relationship with Christ will ultimately def define our relationship with everyone else. The, the verse is, if I abide, connect in, in Jesus Christ and he flows through me, then I can ask what I want. I will uh, bear fruit of love and joy in my life. You see, this is if I connect, abide, remain in Christ, and I'll hear his voice. I'll know his voice. You know, one of the, the surprising things, and this is, shouldn't be surprising, is that reading the Bible or sometimes in meditation or, or even prayer listening, I'll know I'm hearing from God. I know his voice because I know his heart. I know his word. I have a filter that, 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 that brings that to me. And that's available to each of us. As we abide in him, we'll know his word. And my personal relationship with Jesus Christ will define all my other relationships. And, and, and here's, a, here's a truth. The, the more complete I am in Christ, the more content satisfied, connected, not looking for anything to be added to me, then I'm content with other people. I don't have to get defensive. I don't have to be critical. I don't have to get angry because I'm okay with God. If I'm okay with God, then I'm okay. Uh, very simple. My relationship with Christ defines who I am. If I'm comfortable in that relationship, if that's my reality, then I'm secure. I don't have to look to other people. I don't have to look to money, possessions, success. I don't have to look to the approval of other people. I don't have to look for any of that because I'm content. I'm content. I am complete in Christ. We run for what the Bible says is an audience of one. Christ's approval is what counts. That's the, that's the ultimate and the bottom line. That's my reality as I go forward. Now, on the other side of that, if, if I'm insecure, if I'm looking for someone to bolster my self-image, uh, remove my loneliness or my depression, here's what happens. I'll suck them dry. I'll manipulate situations so that they affirm me because their approval is necessary for me to be okay. If I don't have a foundation of being okay in Christ, I will continue to go after other people to tell me I'm okay as we go forward. So what does that look like? What keeps us from being complete in Jesus Christ? To be totally secure. Hang on. Here's, this is going to be challenging. First off, we don't abide in him. Even people who call themselves Christians, we don't abide in him. We don't connect. We don't have time with him. This, uh, we're cut off, and this goes back to that branch that's, that's going to be burned. Also, there's a, there's a verse that talks about a seed, a plant, that grows up among the weeds. I'm weeding my garden, by the way, so I'm a good farmer, because I want them to grow. I want to eat it, is what I want. 
so, but if a seed is sown among thorns, the one who, this is you, this is people of our world, who the cares of the world and riches choke out. We don't have time for Christ. We're too busy uh, running back and forth. Even serving in the church, we get too busy. If we don't have quality time, one-on-one with God, we will, we will never grow and mature. You know, so that's, that's where we go on this. That don't let the thorns and everything in life choke us out. That's the battle that all Christians face. You know, I remember even, even early on in my relationship, I was spending an hour or two hours with God. Well, I was studying, getting ready for lessons. I wasn't sitting and doing me time with God. I wasn't listening to him for me. I was too busy cranking out stuff and not just listening. So that separates us from God. The next thing is willful sin. In our culture, if we sin deliberately, not hamatra, there's, we all sin, come on, but we don't do it deliberately. A Christian does not sin deliberately. I think a couple of the most powerful verses in the Bible, if we sin deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. And this is the Apostle John, one of the, the, the last living apostle, he writes this. No one who abides connects and becomes part of Jesus Christ keeps sinning, willful sin. It's truth we don't know. If we're willfully sinning, it shows we don't know God. Let no one deceive you. I don't care what the world says. If you practice righteousness, you're righteous. As Christ is righteous. But if we make a practice, a choice of sinning, well, we're, we're following the devil. So to separate ourselves from God, to lose that relationship and all those is, is willful sin. Examine our lives in this specific area. Are there things we're doing that we know we shouldn't be doing? You see, the thing is, it's, it's not a removed thing because God's here. He knows exactly where we are. And if we continue to sin, what we're doing is re-crucifying the Son of God. You know, this is one of the most serious verses. It goes after that verse, if we continue to willfully sin, what does that mean? It says there's a punishment that we will deserve because we're trampling underfoot the Son of God. If we willfully sin, we're trampling underfoot the Son of God regarding His blood is unclean. Sin, willful sin, for a nation, we talked about it, for a church, for individuals, for families, this is serious because we isolate God. We, we let the devil loose in our hearts and our lives and our families. Sin is serious. And so each week we've, we've looked at a pillar, and it doesn't matter where the, the sin comes from. Here's a picture that talks about the area. It doesn't matter. Any, any of these areas. Don't let sin control our physical life. Don't let sin control our mental life, and our thought life. Don't let it, for sure, control our relationships, our finances, our work, our family. Don't let the bad guy in. Don't yield our members to unrighteousness. It separates us from people, and it separates us from God. Summary is pretty simple. Be complete in our relationship with Christ. If you're feeling distant, God didn't move. We did. Connect to the vine. Humbly admit and confess our sins. And connect to Jesus Christ. Because that personal relationship with Christ will define everything else. If you're lonely isolated, separated. This isn't God's deal. Even in social distancing and, and even those people, Christians all around the world in isolation and confinement, they're not alone. And they'll tell you they're not alone. Christ is with them meeting their needs. So if we abide in him, if we hear his voice, it'll define our life. Take the time to learn about Jesus. Not just the facts of his life, but the truth of his life. Come to him. 
You come to him, get to know him. This is God's plan for us. God's plan for you. If we can help in any way, shape, or form, uh, let us know. Just pick up the phone, call us, questions come in like this, text us. We'll find a time to get together on the phone. Um, join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your patience. First with this nation. Again, with this nation. Lord, we, we've been given so much by you. Not by politicians, not by our educational system, not by anything, but the loving Father who gave us the resources, who brought us to this land, who gave us our laws and our foundation. All of those things are from you. And Lord, you, you've given us Jesus Christ. Let us hold fast to that promise. Let us abide in him and learn from him. We thank you for that privilege. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Um, finally, we just want to remind everybody that we understand that because of the times that we're in, um, this really does have a strong impact on our emotional health, and we could be struggling with a lot of different things. We are still here to talk with everybody. Um, we can do phone conversations and still be able to help just encourage and support you guys um, with anything that you may need. All you got to do is just, again, text us or give us a call, and we'll call you right back. Uh, so I've got the phone, guys, so don't forget, you are more than welcome to text. So well, as I can figure out the phone. Okay, so, <laughs> so our question for tonight is, are Jesus' parables truth or just fictional stories used for example? Yes. Okay, see you later. No. <laughs> they're truth because they, they, they're spiritual truth presented in a real-world example or story. So what he's, he's conveying literally the kingdom of God and, and, and the principles of the kingdom of God in stories. We're, we're familiar with many of them uh, that go forward, whether it's the, uh, we just talked about the, the sower that goes out and plants seeds. Some are die right away because the devil takes them, the next one is shallow, the next one is choked out. Now, that, there, was a, there was a story that he told, but it certainly applies to many of our lives, and it's a truth that we have to adapt to. Mm -hmm. But can I do a warning on that too? Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus was very clear and, and read specifically the parable of the sower, but it goes throughout his ministry. When he told these stories, he says, let those who have ears, let them hear. He, he told his disciples that very few people are going to understand these stories. He says, I just say the stories because the crowds, and but to you I explain them. Be one of those that are explained to have ears to hear. And that's, again, back to reading the Bible. But ears to hear is, is, is when God speaks. Know his voice. Uh, learn it through stories or through the scripture or all that other stuff. But, yeah, it's spiritual truth, but it is also a story. And it was entertaining. They were storytelling uh, people at that particular time. When they got a group of people together, they would get up and tell Old Testament Bible stories. And the better they told them, the more um, applause they got at the end. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and the neat thing is that he used, obviously, like you said, their life, um, their real life situations. I mean, so so many of them surrounded agriculture or shepherding or yeah. things that were part of their everyday life. And honestly, as humans, we're the same way. When we we really connect in teaching, when somebody can use an example that's a reality in our life that we can connect with. Yep. And yeah, so that is Jesus was smart like that. <laughs> Thanks for giving him credit. I, I know, right? Yeah. Right. He was so smart that way. Um, one of the other questions, we're still working on some questions that have been sent in from the past, and we'll do one more quickly because I see that we are actually um, running a little over. Um, why did Jesus get denied by those who spent so much time with him? Again, the situation that came up and. And this is, you're talking about the disciples when they ran away. I'm assuming that's what they're talking about. There was, pro well, I mean, there was that. And of course, obviously Judas. But then even, um, I think is what is it in John 8 or John 6, when Jesus says, you must eat of my flesh. And, and yep. people kind of freaked out and yep. didn't know what he was talking about. So a whole bunch of them left. Yep. Uh, the, the first off, the deny him is, 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 is the choice to reject him. The, the one example, the hard teaching 
uh, they, they didn't have ears to hear. You know, the disciples stayed there because Peter had the right answer. His, Jesus says, you guys going to leave me too? And he says, where would we go? You have the words of life. And so that part of it. But I think that one of the things we don't understand so much is the garden denial, the running away, and Peter saying, I deny him three times. Peter said, I, I'll, you know, I'll die for you. And what, who, who pulls out a sword and goes to battle against the Roman army? Or the, uh, that, was, that was Peter. He was ready to die. And Jesus kind of took the wind out of his sails and, and, and put his sword on time out uh, at, at that particular time. So they didn't have any other choice. He, he caught all the other options. So they just went away and, and faded away. Peter obviously repented. Uh, and, but Jesus told him, you're going to deny me. But then, then you're going to come back and lead the people. And oh, I could go on. In his denial, he died denying three times. The first thing that Jesus told the ladies at the tomb was, go tell Peter I'm okay. Go tell Peter everything's cool. Yeah. And then he yeah. denied him three times, but Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Yeah, absolutely, for restoration. Yeah. I think there's kind of two levels to that, too. There's the denial of straight rejecting Christ from the beginning, and then the denial, like, I think we can identify with Peter because far too many times in a Christian's life where we may not outright deny him, but we do things that show that we are denying him at that moment. And and so we got to be really careful that we don't put ourselves in the category of saying, well, I would never do that. You're asking for a test. <laughs> Okay. All right, good.